Hello, and welcome to the For the Love of Duluth podcast. My name is Tom Jamison. I moved to Duluth about six years ago, shortly after I bought a business here called Lake Superior Medical Equipment. Prior to that, I was a lawyer in Minneapolis for about 25 years. My co-host is Yvonne Myers. Yvonne is a lifelong resident of Duluth, a registered nurse, and not coincidentally, the marketing director for Lake Superior Medical Equipment. So why did we decide to do a podcast called For the Love of Duluth? It's simple. We love our town and its region, and we want to talk about cool things that are happening here. If you already live in Duluth, we hope this podcast will provide interesting tidbits of information that will add to your appreciation of Duluth. If you are visiting or planning to visit Duluth, we hope our podcast can become a place where visitors can learn more about this town and the cool things that are happening here. Neither Yvonne nor I are celebrities, so the stars of this podcast are clearly not us. The star of this podcast is the city of Duluth and, of course, the guests who join us to talk about their lives and what they are doing in Duluth. This is for the Love of Duluth podcast. If you want the quintessential Northland experience, there is nothing more up north than the John Beargrease Sled Dog Race. At 300 miles, it is the longest sled dog race in the lower 48 states. It brings Duluth even more to life when it's held each year. The namesake, John Beargrease, was pivotal in the development of the entire North Shore as we know it, and the communities who have maintained their foothold there over the past century. A Northlander himself, Beargrease was born born in Beaver Bay in 1858. Over a century later, the John Beargrease Sled Dog Marathon was born. Established in 1980, it is the premier sled dog race series in North America, and it happens right here in our own backyard. That is what makes our next guest perfect for the For the Love of Duluth podcast. Jean Vincent is a lifelong Duluthian and has been involved with the race as a volunteer for more than two decades. Jean started as a volunteer for the race back in 2003 when she was looking for something fun to do with her extra time. Prior to volunteering for the race, she has also donated her time to serious causes like Minnesota AIDS Project and the Empty Bowl. After learning about the race when she bought a Subaru, the race's big sponsor at that time, she headed to their website to learn more and the rest is Duluth history. Since her first year, she's held several different roles, including volunteer coordinator and road crossing coordinator, along with other various jobs of the race. Since her time volunteering for the marathon, she's introduced trail mail, had her hand in merchandise, worked on the website, and continues to fill in where needed. She's also been on the board of the race and has served as president for several years. She's here today to talk about her many different roles as volunteer, how the race came to be, and of course, the best part, the dogs. Jean, thanks for joining us here on For the Love of Well, thanks for having me. Sure. So you've had a long and varied career path, it sounds like. What are some of the things that you've done professionally aside from volunteering for the Bear Grease? My college degree is in um, sociology okay. and criminology, and I worked as a counselor for adolescents at risk and for women at a halfway house with um, addiction issues, and then I was a secretary at the casino and a buyer at Aerostitch. If you don't know about Aerostitch, you should find out about them. Another yeah. Made in America cool company. They make motorcycle gear. Oh, um, okay. And I've been at my current job as long as I've been with the 
Bear Grease. Um, okay. And I am a benefits administrator. So we do flexible spending accounts and HSAs and HRAs. Oh, neat. Yeah. Wow, that is varied. So you've held many volunteer positions at the Bear Grease. Can you tell us about those and what position you hold as a volunteer currently? Well, currently I'm vice president on the board of okay. directors, okay. which um, the Bear Grease is 99% volunteer. Wow. So board members are not paid, coordinators are not paid, with the exception of the race coordinator, very small stipend. I am also assisting the volunteer coordinator. She's learning the job from me, assisting with setting up the cub run and the website. And unfortunately, I can't get rid of road crossing coordinator completely. <laughs> so I'm coordinating half the roads okay. up to Finland and just anywhere where they need help. So obviously it is a fun position and that's why you've stayed for yes. this long. Yes. <laughs> um, we mentioned that you introduced trail mail for the Bear Grease. What is that and how did you come up with the idea? So trail mail is mushers carry your mail. They're sworn in as mail carriers. And I came up with the idea because John Bear Grease is a, yeah. was a mail carrier. Okay. I mean, that's what made him pivotal mm-hmm. to the history of the North Shore. And I was just playing around on the internet and searching for ideas and found there's a Yukon Gold Mail Run in the Yukon. All they do, it's not even a race, all they do is carry mail via dog sled. And they have a postmark made that says carried by dog sled. And I can't remember how many days it is. Anyways, I thought, well, why can't we do this? Mm -hmm. So I contacted the post office. We do have a special postmark made every year that says carried by dog sled, Bear Grease Station, and wherever the start is, a zip code. And then the post office does swear the mail carriers, or the mushers, the marathon and the mid-distance mushers, in as mail carriers. And they carry the mail up the trail. And then it goes into the regular mail stream after that. So a person would buy an envelope from us. We have art from local artists, sometimes kids on the envelope. You buy the envelope, you send it back to the Bear Grease with a stamp and an address on it, and we process it. Wow, what a great idea. That's that's a really cool idea. And you mentioned that uh, one of the reasons you're doing it is because uh, John Bear Grease was a a mail carrier along with a lot of other things that he did and is kind of an amazing life. Can you talk a little bit more about John Bear Grease? Oh, I hope I can do him justice. I should have done a little bit more research. Um, Well, he was born, as Yvonne said, in uh, Beaver Bay, and he's buried in Beaver Bay. Him and his brother and several other people carried the mail, which was vital to the communications up and down the shore. Beaver Bay is the oldest community on the North Shore. So that's the main thing I know about him, other than he had, I think, 12 kids or something like that. Uh, One of his great-granddaughters is going to be running the Bear Grease 40 this year and we don't know for sure if there's been any other Bear Grease descendants actually mushing and we've had Bear Grease descendants on the board but I really I apologize I don't know that much about him other than he he has a lot of kids okay a lot and we are constantly hearing well I'm a descendant and I'm a descendant and our, our poster this year was made by Sam Zimmerman who is a Native American artist 
who's also a Bear Grease descendant. But one of his ancestors, before they hooked up with the Bear Grease, was also a mail carrier. There's a dock in Hovland where the when they weren't carrying mail by dog sled, they carried it by boat. And um, there's a dock in Hovland up by Grand Portage. It's called the Old Dog Trail, I believe. And it talks about John Bear Grease, um, Ojibwe, I think they call him. And I can't remember the Zimmerman's first name, but a German. And um, so I had an opportunity to talk to Sam Zimmerman recently and asked if he was a descendant of that same Zimmerman, and he is, and Bear Grease too. I, I think John's most important role was keeping communication open on the North Shore. Right, and, and I think it's easy to forget because now there's a road, Highway 61, that goes all the way up to Grand Portage, but that was not the case when John Bear Grease was delivering mail. Correct. And this, is, this is a rugged, for people who are not familiar with the North Shore of Minnesota, which is a stretch of Lake Superior shoreline that stretches from Duluth all the way up to Grand Portage on the border. It is it is a rugged place, and you can only imagine what it was like back in the days that he was delivering mail. People think we don't have mountains in Minnesota. We have mountains on the North Shore. It's called the Sawtooth Mountain Range, Mm -hmm. which people will argue with me. They're in Tennessee or wherever the (laughs) other Sawtooth Mountain. I say they're short because they're the oldest mountains in the country, so they've worn down. But yeah, and and, uh, we will stick with that. But uh, as as an explanation, I like that. I like that. And and as someone who's getting older, I I will attest that as you get older, um, you do get shorter. So that would make sense. Right. So, so it makes sense for mountains as well. But anyway, it's it's a it's a rugged area, and uh, and I want to uh, talk a little bit about this area because the race itself uh, goes all the way from Duluth to Grand Portage, right? It does. And so, roughly, what is the route like? It's not all right next to the lake. No, it actually follows the North Shore Corridor Snowmobile Trail right. for the most part. So earlier days, it started at what is now Duluth East. It used to be Ordine. Mm-hmm. Went up Billy's, out to Two Harbors. You don't actually go into Two Harbors, not since I've been involved. At one point, they went into all these small communities, which is another neat thing about the Bear Grease, mm-hmm. that it involves all these communities. So it goes follows the Snowmobile Trail all through Duluth, up to Two Harbors, and then um, we haven't gone into Beaver Bay for a few years because of the lack of snow, but um, then over to Finland. So you're a ways away from the lake, probably 11 miles or so. And then up Sawbell Trail and Caribou Trail. They hit the Gunflint Trail at Trail Center, which is 30 miles up, so that's why it's called Trail Center. And then back down into Grand Portage. And they they also take a loop up the Gunflint Trail. Okay. I was wondering that because um, I don't know a lot about geography, but I know that Duluth to Grand Portage is somewhere around 140 miles, but the race is is 300 miles? Is that that The race is 300 miles. Now, at its inception, it was 500 miles, and they went from Duluth to Grand Portage and back. And like I said, they um, before I was involved, they'd go into all these little towns, Grand Marais, Beaver Bay, I don't know about Silver Bay, and Two Harbors. So up, out, up and down, which is hard. I don't yeah. like walking up these hills. And, right, right, but right, they right. have dogs pulling right. them. And, and down in the winter mm. is pretty scary. Then it went from east inside. Actually, at one point, it started in Canal Park, mm. down the railroad tracks, come out east. But that's how they got their 500 miles then was 
up and back and right. back into town. And then um, when I got involved, it was shortened to about 400 miles, and they'd go up to Trail Center, up to Gunflint Lake, turn around, come back, and come back down. Because of lack of snow and how early it is in the year, it's hard sometimes for mushers to get in enough training miles mm-hmm. by January. So they were wanting a somewhat shorter race. So that's why we only go to Grand Portage and don't turn around and come back. And we've had to do the keep the loop. They don't go quite to Gunflint Lake. They go up the Gunflint Trail a little um, after they hit Trail Center. They go up the Gunflint Trail to about, well, right before Gunflint Lake. And then they turn around, come back, and go over to Devil Track Lake and oh, then sure. head back over to the reservation and Grand Portage. Now, last year, they had to stop at Mineral Center, which is about five miles up from Highway 61 because of lack of snow. Our race trail boss, Alex Angelos, who's been doing it for years, finding the trail, marking it every year, he had to put in some little loop-de-loops and extra mileage down from Mineral Center down to the casino to get the full 300 miles. I can't imagine it being 500 miles. 300 miles seems plenty long, and mm-hmm. I know it's it's, it's sort of a, a tune-up race for the Iditarod, right? We get people who uh, race on the Bear Grease. It, it is it is a qualifier. You have to have so many certain mile qualifiers to um, get in the Iditarod, so it is. And in the last couple of years, we've had um, Ryan Reddington, who had done that Iditarod plenty of times before he raced our race, but he lives down here in the lower 48 part of the year, so he races it all the time. So it's a training run of sorts for people who are doing a 1,000-mile race. And a few others, um, Blake Fricking, who runs the Bear Grease every year, he's done the Iditarod. He had, my first year volunteering, Blake won the Bear Grease, and they said he was a rookie, and I, being a rookie too, thought that meant he'd never raced before. And and somebody goes, no, 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 he's finished the Iditarod and the Yukon (laughs) Quest, which is another 1,000-mile race. But um, Blake and his wife have both done the Iditarod. Ryan Reddington, this year we have, or in 2022, we have Wade Mars, who just moved down from Alaska, but he's a Iditarod veteran. And then we've had many people start here and move on to the Iditarod. Wasn't the city attorney of... Gunnar Johnson? Yes, yes, yes. yes. He has never run the Bear Grease, but he has been a judge for the Bear Grease, and he's a great friend of the Bear Grease, but yes, he has run the Iditarod now three times. Uh, Last year, his run got cut short because he was one of the few people who got COVID. They tested at every checkpoint. So that was kind of disappointing, mm-hmm. but yeah. Now, one of the things, and uh, I've, I've never mushed, um, and, but I'm always amazed by these dogs and how much they seem to be enjoying themselves out there pulling a sled uh, with a guy on a sled telling him to, you know, go fast and all this stuff. Because I always <laughs> think, well, what would happen if I strapped a sled onto my dog and my dog would just give me a funny look and say, what the hell are you doing? Depends you? on what kind of dog you have. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, my dog's lost all respect. I think it's the fact that I pick up her poop that she's she's lost all that respect for me. And so, so at that point, she's not gonna she's not gonna pull a sled for me. That's that's for sure. Wow. You know, she might she, she might say, well, how how about this? Why don't why don't I get on the sled and and we'll, we'll strap you up and see how fast we go. So, but I am amazed at these dogs because they're they're real athletes. They are. People are amazed when you come to the race to see that unless it's a Siberian Husky, Alaskan Huskies aren't all that big. You know, 30, 40 pounds sometimes. And they don't look like what you traditionally see, but they are very athletic. 
bike, mm -hmm. and they all love to run. One musher told me once when I took a retired sled dog in from them, they're not very loyal, but she was pretty loyal, and they just love to run. And the reason I got a retired sled dog is because at some point they get old and they're like, right. I don't want to run anymore. But um, if you go out to any of the local kennels that have sled dogs racing or just recreational, or there's a few mm -hmm. kennels that give rides, you can tell, you take the harness out, those dogs are so excited. Right. I always tell people who are saying how cruel it is to go to the start of the race and right. then tell me how yeah. cruel it is. Right. Like in the movies, they're not whipping yeah. or anything right. like that. It's it's hard to um, hold them back. Right. One of the volunteer positions is dog crews, and they have to kind of hold them back and lead them to the start at the same time, you know, when they haven't raced at all. It's not for old people. <laughs> me, probably you. Yes, for sure. <laughs> not for clumsy people. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, I, they do love it. Is the current starting point, is it Billy's? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. And uh, I have seen that. Yeah, they seem really excited to get on the trail. They're, they've got, a, yeah. lot of, they've got yeah. a lot of energy. Yeah. And I can only imagine how energetic they must be if they're not if they're not racing, pulling a sled. They must just have a lot of energy. They do. I've been out to Freckings Kennel, and they let them all free run. And, oh, my gosh, it's like being in the middle of a beehive. And you mentioned that some people may have concerns about uh, cruelty, but in fact, the John Bear Grease does a lot to ensure that the, the animals are well cared for and, and that there is no cruelty to animals. Right, exactly. Our animal treatment policy, I think is what it's called, is on our website. Certainly if we were concerned, if the judges were concerned that somebody was doing something abusive to their dogs during the race, they would be disqualified. We encourage them to participate in Mush with Pride, which is an organization that sets in Minnesota kennel standards and just general overall treatment standards. Mm -hmm. That's important. Whether they're racing dogs or not, most people involved with the race are dog lovers, are animal right. lovers. It's it's a must, absolute must. Mm -hmm. And your dog is not going to race if you abuse them. And, right. you, and you cannot make a dog run. But uh, the mushers do pick up poop of the dogs, and they still respect <laughs> they them. Still respect them. So, so it must be something nice else. Try, so it must be something else I'm doing. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. I thought I had stumbled on something, but no. But so, so no, okay. it's like your first role if you go volunteer at a kennel is going to be scoop and poop. Okay, okay, all right. That's not necessarily going to make me jump to go volunteer at a kennel. Yeah, but 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 uh, it's good to know. Um, so getting back to the actual race route, and I know you mentioned that a lot of it is on a, a snowmobile. snowmobile trail. They don't close the snowmobile trail down, so the snowmobile trail is being used by both the, the dogs, uh, the mushers, and the teams, and as well as the snowmobiles. And is that creating any conflict? Fortunately not. It hasn't for us. You know, there are races where snowmobiles have hit dog teams. Snowmobiles are generally really respectful, and that's one of the reasons we start on Sunday, because the traffic is dying down. Mm -hmm. But they know to stay to one side. I have not seen any disrespect. Sometimes they'll stop and ask, you know, where the teams are at the road crossings. They'll stop and ask. Sometimes they'll stop and wait, but they stay to one side and, and they're not generally out at night. So it hasn't been, it hasn't been an issue that I've seen on our okay. race. And we're very fortunate. All right. Well, listen, we are going to need to take a short break to uh, hear from our sponsor, Lake Superior Medical Equipment. And uh, after that short break, we will be right back. <laughs> 
You know what's hard to find these days? Good customer service. 2021 has been a rough year for customer service, no matter the industry. At Lake Superior Medical Equipment, they have kept the focus on good customer service because they value their customers. They have real people who answer the phones and real people who answer your questions. No automated messages here. Their customer service is second to none. It always has been and it will always be. The team at Lake Superior Medical Equipment loves serving the Northland's home medical equipment needs, no matter what those may be. They provide unparalleled support to their community's healthcare professionals and enhance their customers' independence and quality of life. It all begins with their customer service. Are you in need of medical equipment? Or have a question? Lake Superior Medical Equipment can help. Reach out to one of their friendly staff members and they will take care of the rest. Get contact information at lsmedequip.com. Don't forget to like them on Facebook at Lake Superior Medical Equipment and follow them on Instagram at Lake Superior Medical Equipment. In Duluth, call 218-727-0600 and in Cloquet, 218-879-2211. And we are back with Jean Vincent. Jean has been a longtime volunteer with the John Bear Grease uh, sled dog marathon. We'll kind of pick off where we left off, but before we do that, has uh, has anyone ever asked you if you were related to uh, Gene Vincent, oh, our yeah. iconic many, uh, many 1950s times. rocker? Yeah. Yes, many <laughs> times. And in fact, one career, which was short-lived that I didn't mention, is that I worked for a week in radio. I got that job because I called in for a radio contest. Somebody told me, you're good at internet research. You should apply for this job. So I did, but I called in for radio contest to that station and the owner um she's like oh you have a great radio voice and your name don't change your name but i didn't last long (laughs) so i have a brief career in radio because of your name gene vincent and my voice yes trust me my singing voice is nothing like gene vincent's (laughs) my family kind of jokes that i sing like bob dylan but you know (laughs) well he's he's done okay too he's done okay (laughs) he doesn't carry a tune very well but he <laughs> no no but it's it's iconic his voice yeah. is iconic yep. and he's had a, a longer career than gene vincent so yes sadly a longer life as well so anyway gene vincent i think died uh I, well i'm not sure how old he was but either his song was pop i was born in 1957 and i think he either died that year or the one song that i can find that he was most known for beep bop was 1957 or something yes like i that. think that and was it like yeah, he I was think. a predecessor to elvis well, we want to get back to the uh, to the race itself, and uh, you mentioned in our first segment that you were still doing a lot of the road crossings, at least between here and Finley. Obviously, this is a long race, so it crosses a lot of roads, and obviously that's a that's important, right? We don't want any of the teams to get hit by cars. Um, that would be a, a, a terrible tragedy. So, how how big a deal is that for the race? Personally, I think it's the most important role in the whole race for that reason. And at one time when we went two ways there was 70 roads when you count you had to count them mm-hmm. both ways and some of those are just little cow paths but you know there might be a logging truck going down Same. it or whatever and some of them are like highway one um that goes from 61 up to ely um and highway two and two harbors so some major roads but it 
it is vital to the race. It does say in the rules that, you know, the musher is ultimately responsible, but I don't know anybody who's had the role of road crossing coordinator before me or the guy that I'm trying to get to take him over completely since that doesn't agree with me that it's majorly important. It's also extremely hard. Once the race starts, you don't know how fast they're traveling, especially with the the further you get into the race. So predicting what time they're going to get there, and they don't all get there at the same time. Right. And uh, it's cold, so Mm -hmm. it's if you're not comfortable being out in the cold or in the middle of the woods with just a campfire, then it's not the job for you. I don't like the crowds of the start. Actually, I was assigned the job. That's why it's a good fit for me, Mm because I don't like being around all that excitement but i'm also tired of driving in blizzards so <laughs> you're looking to give that roll up in, at some point yes and it's not for you know you sleep in your car or you sleep when you can and it's, it's a better job for somebody younger well that rules me out then <laughs> so that's good i guess because that's oh we, they would so we would still take you <laughs> okay okay but... <laughs> all right well i'll, I'll, I'll if you plan it right you can sleep in a hotel <laughs> yeah i could just see me sleeping through my wake-up call and that'd be the day that yeah. some, some yeah. truck plows into a bunch of mushers because I slept through my wake-up call so I I don't think I I don't think I want that I, I'd be too stressed out by all the responsibility the responsibility of it is part of the reason it's a hard position right. to fill not just the road crossing coordinate but road crossings themselves <laughs> because you are responsible for the safety of all the teams you know and there might be somebody who's hours behind and you got to stay there right and you mentioned how, how many teams start the race usually? Well, this year, there's in 2022, there's probably going to be, between all three races, there'll probably be like 60 because there's 20 wow. marathon people signed up right now and 20-some mid-distance people. And then the 40-mile race, which ends in two harbors, has got about 18 so far. But registration <laughs> hasn't closed yet. Some years, it's been really thin. But last year, I think it did so well because there was not a lot of people having a race. This year the marathon is pretty full too and that despite a kind of small purse. They always say well we, the purse doesn't matter but it's got to at some point. They gotta right. feed 20 some yeah. dogs. Right. Yeah. right. And how has the purse changed over the years? Well before I got involved when they had big sponsors they had a big purse. When they had like Grand Portage, Seagram's even when I first got involved, the purse was a little higher because Subaru Corporate gave more money. It's harder and harder to raise money. It costs about $8,000 a mile to put on the bear grease between insurances and permits and straw and, you know, vet care and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. And that's not even including the purse. So we do a lot of fundraising. And as one former board member used to say, we're not saving babies. So people are a little bit more more reluctant. But we are a nonprofit. So right. any donations, merchandise sales, anything like that all goes towards the overall cost of the race. So are there efforts to try to uh, get more of these larger sponsors back into the race? Yes. One of our few paid people is that we contract with someone. Her entire job is fundraising. Again, we're not saving babies. Right. But if people wanted to donate, how would they go about doing that? If people, just individuals want to sure. donate, you can go on our website and donate or send a check and... And, um, say, and actually, there's information if you want to, if you're interested in being a sponsor on the website, too, to contact sponsors at beargrease.com 
or info at beargrease.com and we can um, give you information on what you get as a sponsor or the other ways to donate if you don't want to just do a just donation we do have memberships you know and they get a patch and they get to vote for the board of directors and there's a hundred dollar mile marker membership and we put little placards up at the start actually like if Yvonne had a mile marker it would say Yvonne and whatever mile you pick and we put those up and then send them to the person after cash donations are always welcome and memberships and sponsorships I mean they have sled banners that they sell to businesses they just did it last year and I was not on the board last year so I'm not totally familiar with it but they make a banner that they tie on to the sleds mm. like with Lake Superior Medical or yeah. whatever and it's like $250 or something and then you get the banner it goes on one of the mushroom sleds for the whole race and that's kind of advertising it's kind of like the NASCAR races, right? You can have one of these sled <laughs> yeah. sleds with your banner on it. Yes, exactly. That's for cool. a lot less than you could yes. for the probably, yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and maybe one of the things that would uh, would help drive more donations is to to get more people out there watching this race. You said you don't love the crowds at the start. If you were going to suggest to someone where they should go and and watch this race, let's say they lived in Duluth, didn't want to go too far from home. Well, there's a number of road crossings between here and Two Harbors that are great. Basically, the snowmobile trail where it crosses West Tisher Road, North Tisher Road, Fox Farm Road, Lane Road, and Drummond Crossing are all great spots to watch the race. They're not all coming through. The further you get from the start, the less they're all together. Some of those roads, Fox Farm and Lane, sure. um, the neighbors come out and have a party at the road. Mm-hmm. We have a whole bunch of photographers that just follow the race just because they love taking pictures. They're not employed by the Bear Grease or anything, but some of them donate their pictures you'll see them at all the road crossings mm-hmm. and trucking down the trail with their camera equipment and mushers will tell you about them jumping out at, to take a picture right. <laughs> <laughs> so road crossings if you don't want to be at um, the start or it's also nice to watch them come into a checkpoint so like the highway 2 checkpoint is in a gravel pit and um, you have to walk in it's kind of fun to watch the teams come in there and then you can walk around just like you can at the start and see the teams rest and the mushers working with the dogs and that's a great way to get information about you know the sport and the animals mm-hmm. and see how well they do take care of their dogs if someone wanted to find out if, if the John Bear Grease was going to go nearby their town or something is there a map somewhere that someone can access and, and, and see the actual route so they would know? There will be. There isn't one on for the 2022 route online right now, but there generally is because the mushers want to study that. Right, right. Yeah. You'd think yeah. they'd want to know where they should and go. And it's, it's pretty much the same every year, but little things happen. Not enough snow or whatever that it's a little different. But like last year, I said they couldn't go all the way to Grand Portage, so right. it only went to Mineral Center. And if Grand Portage, for some reason, decided they didn't want the berries coming in there then we'd have to redo the map right eventually will the map get posted on your website yes okay it does so for those listening to this podcast watch for that if you want to go and find out if you happen to be going up the north shore uh want to catch the john bear grease and happen to be there for the race you'll be able to see that on the map and you'll be able to hopefully figure out a a good vantage point to go and and watch the dogs yep and then it's the timing then you have to kind of figure out the timing most of them rest once they get to highway two for a little while so anything past the highway two checkpoint you got to figure a couple hours that's when 
it gets tricky, but, you know, I've had spectators show up at road crossings on Devil Track Road, which is way up mm -hmm. right, by the right. gun plant. Remember that year that we got like an inch and a half of rain in January? Yes. It was during the bear grease. Yes. So there's a spectator that comes and then it froze and somebody shows up in her full length mink coat or fur coat and so they figure it out they figure out how to get there right. which is interesting when is the bear grease this year i believe it starts it's the last sunday of january all the time okay. and I, so i believe that's january 30th and the first teams take off at 10 in the morning we moved the time up last year to facilitate the all the spreading out and stuff they needed to do for covid but volunteers liked it spectators liked it so we're right. keeping it and and checkpoint it's like the Finland community, if we start earlier in the day, then you get there when people in Finland can come out during the daylight, or at least, you know, it's not the middle of the night when you get there. So to watch some of these communities, you know, they've been watching it for years. So mm -hmm. the community members come out too. And then roughly how long does it take, let's say, the winning team to, to do the 300 miles? About two days. Wow. So 2.5. It ends on Tuesday. Wow. And are they racing through the night? Oh, yeah. So they're required to do a certain amount of um, rest. I can't remember what it is. I want to say it's 20 hours. And four hours has to be on at Sawbill on their way up. And four hours at the last checkpoint before the finish line, which should be Mineral Center. But the rest, they can spread out. But they have to rest at a checkpoint. Unlike the Iditarod, their um, only rest that they have recorded has to be at a checkpoint. But, you know, that's different. It's out in the middle of the wide open spaces, right. so there's not room to camp out on the snowmobile trails, so they have to rest at checkpoints. Right, and so when they rest at checkpoints, where are they resting, for instance, uh, the, the musher? Our race is assisted for the most part, right. which means their handlers, their dog trucks, go from checkpoint to checkpoint, with the exception of Sawbill for the marathon. So they can't be in their trucks, but they're tied up to their trucks or right. chained to their trucks, and then they lay down straw and try to get them to sleep and eat so it's like in the parking lot at finland in the gravel pit and, highway two and, and uh, as i understand people can donate straw for that purpose right donate money for straw uh, dro donate money <laughs> for straw so you don't want people okay. coming in with with straw and uh, unloading their pickup trucks no no i mean we you want to buy your straw and we can donate it has money. to be clean straw okay. right. because we're in superior national forest so you have to make right. sure it doesn't have any seeds and comes from certain places sure. and blah blah blah. Sure. Okay. So no, because we have no place to store it. Right. You know? And where where the while the dogs are resting, what are the mushers doing? Some of them sleep in their trucks. Yeah. Highway two checkpoint doesn't have a doesn't have a building they can go in per se. So they'll just eat, start their own fires. They all have little camp stoves and they eat and rest and walk around and talk to each other. Up at Finland, the musher themselves probably stays and sleeps in the truck just because it's quieter. Right. But there is facilities at Finland. Last year you couldn't go in. This year you probably can and they, you know, the community comes out and serves food and so they go in there and visit and rest depending on how long it is. Sure. This has been absolutely fascinating and you've been extremely generous with your time. We do like to ask people who are, are from Duluth and you're not working, what do you like to do? I used to, before I got involved with the Bear Grease, I used to cross country ski. But it's kind of time consuming 
when you sign up for everything. And and you have a day job. Yeah. Right, um, right. Which I do. But I also have taken up um, some painting, so I do a lot of that. Spend time with my friends. Watch TV and nap. I like to do that. Yeah. I like to hike. Duluth has lovely hiking and walking trails. Right. I don't have a dog currently, and my cat doesn't like to go for walks, but when I had a dog, <laughs> that would motivate me more to mm-hmm. walk. Not anything too exciting, unfortunately. Well, hey, I think that, I think going out on the trails, uh, hiking the trails in Duluth is, is plenty exciting. It's always, uh, it's always fun, and you always see stuff that you might not be expecting to see, so mm-hmm. uh, it's fun. If this was your podcast and you were the guest, are there any questions that you would have asked you that we didn't ask you? That's like a job interview when they say well yeah <laughs> the yeah. same thing exactly um, you ask the important ones how do you how do you donate and how do you volunteer oh you volunteer by going on the website there you go yeah. and if you do volunteer this we haven't mentioned yet i don't think if you do volunteer there's a chance that you could wind up going to norway because that's what happened to you <laughs> yeah well that's what happened to me but there's probably not a good chance anybody else will be going well, to norway all, it, it, all we want to do is so. tell people there's a chance there's there's it a happened chance once, you can go it to happen before. Yes, you can. That was very exciting. I went because we were, got involved with this organization called QPAWS, which um, is trying to do an international circuit of dog sled races. It was us, the Iditarod, a couple of races in Russia, and one in Norway. All came together to plan this program that it's operated by krill they make krill they're pushing it for dogs right for dog care but but they also love mushing and it's a big thing in norway myself and like i said frank mo who is a musher um we're invited to go and to be part of this committee so that's cool well listen we we so appreciate your time and i think uh, we're all inspired to go out and watch the john bear grease well i hope so or volunteer that would be great <laughs> there we go if you're listening to this podcast and you want to volunteer sounds like there's uh, room for you there's year-round volunteer opportunities people to work on the website mm-hmm. people to handle communications do merchandise at you know community events and stuff like that media uh, we had one board member once who just didn't like the cold so she would <laughs> she would not do anything outside but we have something for everybody um, we're always looking it's a year-round venture you know we take one month to wrap up and then get going again you're planning a month after you finally wrap up the bear grease that's taken almost a year out of your life you're uh, you're starting to plan the next one yes and our fundraiser is starting probably before one year ends working on the next year so wow because that's how marketing works right right it's a big job it sounds like a big job and we really appreciate uh that you took the time out of your busy schedule to come and uh and meet with us well thanks for having us That just about does it for this episode of For the Love of Duluth. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at For the Love of Duluth Podcast and subscribe to For the Love of Duluth wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for For the Love of Duluth. That way you will never miss an episode. We will see you next time.